Get ready to hear the truth about America on a show that's not immune to the facts with your host, Dan Bongino. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast today. We always appreciate it. I don't like to leave you all on the weekend, so we put together this special podcast for you to enjoy on your weekend. You can hear these interviews you're about to hear live during the week on my radio show. If you want to find out where you can listen, go to Bongino.com, click on Station Finder. But before we get to our first one, let me get to one of our sponsors. We always appreciate your patience. They love to talk to you. So thank you. We appreciate that. Uh, folks, we're in Omaha Steaks household. You know I love to eat. I love good food. I love it. Therefore, we've been an Omaha Steaks customer for a long time. Summer ending doesn't need to be the end of your grilling season. Go to omahasteaks.com. The food is delicious. Enter keyword Bongino in the search bar, B-O-N-G-I-N-O, and order the All-American Assortment today. You're going to love it. There's mouth-watering items from the butcher cut filet mignons to the caramel apple tartlets my daughter loves. I get hungry talking about it for a limited time. As a special gift for my listeners, when you type Bongino in the search bar, you'll get 12 ultra-juicy ultra Omaha Steaks burgers free with your order. They're Guy's personal favorites. He loves them. But if the All-American Assortment doesn't have what you want, they also have an option on my page to build your own perfect menu. Simply pick your favorite items out of the delicious, delectable options provided and create your own grilling adventure. The food is amazing. The price, you can't beat it for this kind of quality. The best part is it also comes again with 12 free Omaha Steaks burgers. They're amazing. Visit omahasteaks.com. Type keyword Bongino in the search bar and fill your freezer with enough gourmet food to keep your cookouts going strong into the fall. That's omahasteaks.com. Keyword Bongino. Thanks, Omaha Steaks. We appreciate it. First up today, we talk with Texas State Senator Brian Birdwell, a real American hero. Listen, this is an emotional interview with both me and... Uh, and him, a man I admire and respect. I encourage you to listen to it. It gets a little tough uh, for both of us at the end. Uh, Senator Burwell told us in detail about his harrowing escape from the Pentagon on 9-11, what he saw, how badly he was injured, what he went through in the days and months uh, afterwards. It's, um, he's a friend and a hero, and I really encourage you to listen to this incredible account of that uh, tragic day. Take a look. So Senator Burwell, my friend here, said, Dan, I'm from Texas. And he says it the right way, Texas. Nobody says I'm from Texas. I'm from Texas. He says, I'm going to send you a gavel more appropriate of your demeanor. And for you, Fox Nation, this is what he sent me. For those of you wondering on the audio what it looks like, it looks like Thor's hammer from the Marvel movie because it's enormous. Matter of fact, Senator, it's so big. When I slam it on the thing you sent me that says rule one, quote, don't get dead, it shakes the microphone, so I have to be careful. So thank you for sending that, sir. You're, You're a good welcome. man. You're welcome. You're welcome. Yeah. So getting back to you, I, I want to talk about 9-11 because you're such a consequential figure yourself and what happened to you that day. It's coming up uh, this weekend. But uh, just your quick thoughts on, on Queen Elizabeth. I know you're a student of history, a very bright yeah. guy. I've spoken to you often. I mean, when your name appears in just about every chapter of a history book, as I said in the last hour, you can rest assured you've changed a lot of lives as Queen Elizabeth did. Yeah. Yeah. I, I you know, the, our, our constitution, you know, forbids any title of nobility. And, and as you're, you know, in your previous discussion that, that I heard earlier today about, you know, the monarchy, you know, Americans aren't a fan of the monarchy, but right. when I think of our British allies, I mean, look, we had two pretty serious wars, you know, one for our independence and the war of 1812 with them. But in my lifetime, um, the British First Armored Division was just down the, 
the eastern side of the Seventh Corps flank in the first Gulf War uh, as the largest armored formation in the world was going into uh, going into Iraq back in uh, 1990, February of 1991. And in my years as a uh, in the Army, uh, not just then, but afterwards, back in the late 90s, I was stationed out of Fort Lewis, and there was a, a, a British uh, a brigade that was uh, training out at Yakima that we provided some support to. And so in many of our in the last century and a half, um, whether it was World War One, World War Two, um, First Gulf War, uh, our British allies have been with us both militarily and diplomatically. And so, as, as we think about her passing, and pray that she knows the Lord the way that we do, and that she's in eternity with uh, with our Lord and Savior. Uh, that I'm glad that our nation, our, our allied nation, was led by somebody of her stature, and that uh, has been beside us uh, during the Cold War, before the Cold War, uh, and because the British, the Israelis, and maybe another handful of people are our most staunch, uh, reliable allies. And that's what I think of when, with the loss of her passing, I pray that Great Britain does not, uh, we do not separate as allies with her passing. Uh, we're talking to State Senator Brian Birdwell from the great, and I do mean great, state of Texas. You're a very uh, eloquent guy, uh, really. Sometimes uh, I wonder why it's not the Brian Birdwell show rather than the Dan Bongino show, and that no, goes I'm, back a while. No, no, it's true. You are. I'm, you are I'm very, not as very. Good as you. I mean, you, you, you've got that the, gift of of, of uh, no, granularity no, no, and, no, and entertainment. I don't accept it. So. <laughs> nope. No way. I don't. I appreciate it, but I don't accept it. So I go way back with the state senator. Uh, long story short, because I want you to hear his story. I was given a speech in the panhandle of Florida and I hadn't met him before. And they said, oh, OK, great. This is years ago, folks. I don't know, five years ago or something. They said, you're speaking after the state senator from Texas. I meet him at the table. I know nothing about his story. He's not a braggadocious guy. He didn't tell me anything. He says, we're just chatting like old friends. I don't know. This guy's a, 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 a hero. I have no idea. Never met him in my life. He gets up and he gives this speech, which he's about to tell you what happened on 9-11 to him. And I get up to speak afterwards. I'm so moved by his speech, which you're about to hear, that the first words out of my mouth are, what the hell am I doing up here talking to you after that? What do you want me to say? Because I was so deeply moved to tears by what happened. Uh, State Senator Birdwell, 9-11, you're working in the Pentagon. You're a real American hero. Tell us your story. Well, I, I was serving as a military aide to a flag officer that morning. Uh, you know, lieutenant colonels are just, you know, schmoes uh, in, the, in the Pentagon. But I'm working for a, a two-star and an SES-5. And uh, about 9 o'clock, uh, you know, one of my coworkers, Sandy, had gotten a call from her daughter, Sam, up in New York. Said, hey, Mom, turn the TV on. And we did what everybody in in the country, you know, whether it was you there in New York, I think, I think you were in New York at the time and, yeah, or, right. uh, or here in Texas, wherever you were, you know, you were either turning on the radio, the TV in the commute or, or, you know, as you're getting up, you're learning what's happening. Um, so we go into Miss Minnig's office and both my principal and my deputy, my two star and my SES are, are out of the building. Um, and so it's just Sandy, Cheryl and I, and we go into Miss Minnig's office, uh, my SES and, and, uh, senior executive service, uh, and uh, uh, turn the TV on, see the World Trade Center, that first, you know, the North Tower with the antenna mast, huge gaping hole, and the smoke pouring out, and the commentators, you know, describing it as an accident. And, and on live TV, we'll watch in just short order Flight 175 crash into the South Tower. 
and that would confirm that neither were accidents. There was no thought that we were next. At about 9.35, I would step out, tell Sandy and Cheryl I was going to go hit the men's restroom, and uh, those are the last words that I would speak to my two coworkers. I step out, go to the men's restroom, and if, if your listeners recall that portion of the Pentagon, the E-ring, the outer ring of the Pentagon that receives the initial impact of Flight 77, that portion that crumbles, my window where my desk was, was just to the left of where the building shears off cleanly. But when I step out and go to the men's restroom, I walk through the impact point or what would be the impact point and what would eventually crumble, go to the men's restroom. So I take care of business, come out. I'm now about to turn right to go back through uh, the, the portion of the building that is impacted and crumbles when Flight 77 makes impact. So I'm 15 to 20 yards from an 80-ton jet making impact with a building at 530 miles an hour, and it is not by uh, the Army making me the toughest guy in that building that I survived, but the toughest man to ever walk this earth 2,000 years ago that uh, still sits at the right end of the Father and, and still intercedes in our lives on our behalf. And I would be horribly burned. It was a, It's a, a gruesome experience, Dan, and I don't want to be gratuitous to your... No, your they need to hear it. I mean, Senator, well, I, they need to hear I, it. I just, we need to okay, be reminded. Just, Please. Well... And so I, I'll experience a number of, of pains and emotions. You know, the physical pain of the burns, I was burned on 60% of my body with about 40% being third-degree burns. I am 40% of me, I am skinned alive. Um, it, my uniform that day was just, you know, leather shoes, my the polyester pants, the, the belt, the short sleeve, uh, button-up shirt, um, name tag, and access badge. And at the before the moment of impact, I'm in a 72-degree hallway, and immediately after impact, I am blown across the, the, the corridor, set ablaze, um, most of my pants and most of the my shirt gone as I struggled to survive. I came to that moment that, uh, that I came to the recognition that I was no longer struggling to survive, but it was, in fact, this is how the Lord's calling me into eternity, and... I, I did what we in the military are never trained to do, and that's, you know, surrender, quit, give up, collapse the floor, and waited to die. Thought about Mel and Matt that morning, my wife and my son, that that, that morning when I'd said goodbye, just like, you know, there were, uh, in fact, uh, Mel and I have had the opportunity to meet the widow of the one Secret Service agent that was killed at the World Trade Center that was doing the, the, the uh, I guess, the pre-work that, that is normally done for a presidential visit. And... Uh, you know, that that was that morning was the last I was going to speak to them until they joined me in eternity. And and by the Lord's grace, that's not what happened. I, I did not decease. I did survive. There were four men, Bill McKinnon, Roy Wallace, John Davies, and Chuck Knobloch, that, that uh, came out of a B-ring door. The B-ring is the next to innermost ring in the Pentagon. There are five rings, A to, a to E. B is the second uh, inside ring. Um, and they came out of that door, came across me. Uh, and I had staggered about, 50, you know, about 25, 30 yards in the condition of being skinned alive. There's chunks hanging off of me. My face is already beginning to swell shut, just like the, you know, Rocky in the, the first Rocky movie. My eyes are, are already beginning to swell shut, but not from 15 rounds with Apollo Creed, but from being burned in the face. The, you know, the, just there's, there's no part of me unaffected except uh, my feet covered by my leather shoes. And so I collapse in front of Roy. The, the four of them give, you know, grasp a, uh, a, you know, grab an arm or a limb to give that exertion to pick me up because this is not a place to, 
to wait for medical care to get to me. The fire's still burning and, and spreading. Smoke is filling up that hallway. And when they grab me, you know, they give that first exertion to pick me up, and, and they, I don't come with them. They end up tearing chunks off of me, and I, I begin screaming at them to leave me alone. And I know in my heart I'm telling them, Dan, to leave me there to die. Because uh, the, the, when you're that badly burned, just being touched is, is agonizing. But they're kind of like that paraffin treatment when you put your hand in the hot wax, and then when you pull it out, it solidifies. But then it just peels right off. That's what happens with, with burned flesh because the moisture in your body has been evaporated out, and now there's nothing. That moisture is what actually holds us together, and that moisture is gone. And so now just chunks come off. And eventually uh, to move me, Chuck rolls me over on the left-hand side, forcibly puts his arms underneath my, my the left side of my torso, taking chunks of the back off. But eventually the four of them are shaking hands with each other that instead of grasping me, they're gripping each other's arms with my body weight resting on their connected arms. They eventually carry me through a, the B-ring door into an A-ring access where I would receive my first medical care in the A-ring from an Air Force doctor. And John Baxter, Colonel John Baxter, John would have the, the go bag that had a, a morphine, uh, morphine uh, uh, syringes, IVs, and things of that nature. So he was headed to the medical clinic to be a part of the triage, but but basically five or six of us have been set here in what's a hasty triage location. He stops, puts the, takes my shoes off so that he can find a, a good place with clean skin and a vein. Uh, so he puts the morphine in the right foot, the IV in the left. Uh, Natalie Ogletree, a wonderful lady from the Navy staff that was coming down the staircases trying to get out of the building, is just led to pray with me. She says the, we say the 23rd Psalm together, the Lord's Prayer, and she reads the 91st Psalm over me. I'll be evacuated to Georgetown University Hospital as, as the only casualty taken there. I'll have that entire hospital's undivided attention. And in the ride over there, I was thinking that about, because I, I have my mental faculties, but I don't have my physical. I, I really needed that morphine shot, not just because of the pain, but because I could not control, you know, my trembling and, and other things. I'll just let your audience's yeah. imagination, yeah. you know, that. And I understand. eventually, you know, I get to get to Georgetown and and uh, it's like a battle drill. I mean, you know what a battle drill is. You know, law enforcement, fire, you know, military, we know what battle drills are. You're trying to bring order out of chaos. And that's what's happening in that emergency room. There's voice commands, there's gravity, but there's no chaos. And Dr. Williams comes to the left side of the table of the, of the, the gurney that I'm on and and says, Colonel Birdwell, we're going to do the best that we possibly can for you. And my eyes are nearly completely swelled shut. And I'd been thinking about this on the drive over because I knew that while the answer to the life or death in the Pentagon that day had been answered, the question of whether I was going to live or die that day had not yet been answered. And so I, I asked for the wedding ring to be taken off my finger because normally jewelry has to be cut off of the burn survivor because as the body swells, if it's a ring, a bracelet, a necklace, and that's the part of the body burned. That necklace becomes a tourniquet, and you can now, you know, have other traumatic injuries, not directly from the burn, but because of the, the lack of flow of circulation to the body, you can lose an extremity requiring an amputation. And I didn't want the ring destroyed because there was no Senator, I'm, 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 I'm horrified to have to tell you this, but uh, we're running. I'm almost out of time. I, I, the computer's going to cut I'm us sorry. off. And No, no. Sorry, nothing. I... I want my audience to hear every uh, every. Can you hold for us? Can you hold? I just want to. I want to get the rest. Absolutely. Don't go anywhere. 
All right, we're going to take a quick yep. break. We'll be right back. Senator uh, Brian Birdwell, state senator from Texas, was uh, we were talking about 9-11 and his experience in the Pentagon being burned over most of his body. Senator, uh, thanks for hanging over the break. Yeah. I just wanted to pass to you before we, I just want you to finish your story because so many people are just transfixed yeah. by what you were saying based on the feedback. But uh, this one gentleman reached out, let's just call him Brian K on Facebook, and he said, um, Dan, I want to thank you for having Senator Burwell on the radio today. This is the second or third time I've heard his story, but I've been having some hard times in life lately, and it's a reminder that some problems are minor in the grand scheme of things. Thanks for grounding me today, at least from this listener. So I just want you to know um, you have an incredible impact on people's lives, and you're an unbelievably humble guy. So, um, you know, you matter a lot, and I, I know you understand that, but please... Finish the story because it's you're in the hospital. You're the massive burns in the Pentagon, struck on 9/11. I, I, I didn't I didn't want to interrupt you, but I just want to ask one question: sure. When you're leaving the bathroom in the Pentagon, and this happens, do you have any idea? I mean, it's you know the buildings were struck in the World Trade Center, but you, you said before you didn't think it was going to happen in the Pentagon. Are you saying to yourself? I mean, what's going through your head? Do you have any idea? Did you say to yourself, was that another plane? I mean, what's going through your head? I, the the first thing I thought was bomb, because while we the Pentagon was being renovated, there were construction sounds, you know, jackhammers and things like that. Having been around, you know, I was an artillery officer, mostly heavy artillery, and, and nothing this loud. I mean, this, I mean, I heard that, and you, it was not a normal sound, but in the next nanosecond, as I'm, as I'm taking that step thinking bomb, uh, then, you know, I'm blown across the, the hallway. So as I'm, as I'm in there struggling, you know, I, I wasn't putting two and two together. But after I'm taken out, uh, I'm, I'm not to the hospital yet, but I'm actually outside the building on that gurney. And there are police officers that are saying, get away from the building. There's a, there's a fourth plane. Knowing the first two had hit New York, there's a fourth one coming, you know, I, in, you know, in that moment I could go, okay, I get, you know, it wasn't a bomb, it's an aircraft. Um, but we knew that we were part of whatever was happening that day with, with the attack that was on the country. Um, so it was, uh, you know, it, 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 in some ways it's funny, Dan, and that I've met many men and women that, uh, uh, got a purple heart either in Afghanistan or Iraq. I've met folks that, that cleared buildings in Fallujah back in, in 04. And when they asked me, you know, what was I doing when I got my Purple Heart? You know, my, my response is, is a rather a meek and nearly humiliating, you know, I was coming out of the men's restroom. So, you know, the Lord ah. used a trip to the men's restroom for his glory. And, and so I've got a, I've got a Purple Heart for that reason. And glad it's only one, you know, I don't, I don't no. need, you know, oak leaves on my, on my Purple Heart, but but, uh, You're such a humble guy, uh, <laughs> folks. Let me tell you something. I've I've known this guy for you. You are you. I've known him for years. We're talking a state senator from Texas. A name you need to commit to memory. Brian Birdwell. Uh, you know, I, I'm going to dispute that. Uh, you're a humble guy. You've always been. This is not some act he's putting on. It's like, oh, you know, I've met a lot of politicians, uh, Brian, and I got to tell you, 99 percent of them have disappointed me. Gosh, I disappoint myself. I'm a Sinner, I say it all the time. Don't idolize me. You're going to be disappointed. But you are the you're the same guy behind the scenes. Like you really believe 
He believes uh, none of my listeners believe that you have changed there that that guy that hero those those Medal of Honor the Dakota Myers out there who did things I mean uncommon valor really um, unbelievable yeah. bravery you 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 read the stories and you're like nine hundred ninety nine thousand out of a million people do not do what you just did but you know what folks yeah. nine hundred ninety nine thousand people do not survive. What you survived in the way you did, burned and skinned alive by flaming jet fuel, and then go on to change thousands. If we have 8 million listeners to change millions of lives, I dispute your characterization. I know it's out of a sense of humility, but nope, you're a life changer, and you better believe it. Well, in the the parallels of, of when you talk about changing lives, I mean, the Lord's the one that really does that and that yes that, sir you know i i stepped out of the men's restroom and had two or three minutes to think about my death that morning as i'm in the hallway dying and the lord stepped out of eternity knowing the death he was going to die uh before he ever arrived and while my death and the scars i wear and i'm proud of them dan but my death you would honor because the scars i wear are for the security of our nation um, but the scars the Lord wears are for the security of your eternity. And there's a big difference. And as much as I love my nation, uh, I will not be here, but I'll be in eternity forever. I won't be here forever. And Speak to that, and Brian. Speak to that. When you were in the hospital, you were a deeply, deeply religious man. Again, folks, this isn't some act. Trust me. If you've ever trusted anything I've told you. You are in the hospital. You had mentioned before the break about them, they might have had to cut your wedding ring off, but you want them to take your wedding ring off. Are, are you, yeah. um, that relationship with, with the Almighty, with Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior as well, are, are, you, are, you, in, are you praying, or is the pain too much to even well, think straight? What, what's going through your head? Well, the, the, there's a point at which the, the pain, you become numb to it. I don't want to say that you don't hurt, but the physical agony is subordinate to the emotional hurt because the emotional hurt is, you know, as Judith Rogers reaches for that ring, because look, my, my hands look like a five hot dogs that have been blackened, you know, that are attached to a burnt steak. And when Judith reaches, because the body melts long before gold, does, you know, gold melts somewhere above 600 degrees, but Judith reaches for that ring, takes it off. He gloves the finger, blood streaming out. And I don't recall it hurting. Dan, because not because there wasn't physical pain with it, but because the greater pain was the emotion of knowing that I have moments before I'm either dead or or sedated, and that if if what I'm about to do is the last thing I'm going to do before the Lord calls me into eternity, I wanted Mel to know I loved her, and look, Mel stood beside me. She's been with me now for for nearly 35 years. And, and look, most wives don't like being described as their own combat zone, but I married a little bulldog that needed to be the bulldog when I needed a bulldog, and that's exactly what the Lord gave me when I married her back in 1987, because he knew what was coming 14 years later. Um, yeah. To take the ring off, and he gives, uh, Judith gives it to John Coll- Major John Collison, who, who is in Florida, in the Tampa area now. He's retired. A uh, great American as well, um, and uh, I, I tell John, you know, give that to Mel, and tell her that I loved her, 
And then I ask for the hospital chaplain. Chaplain Cirillo comes to the right-hand side, and she just leads that prayer with me that says, you know, Lord, if you've brought Brian here under the, the your direction as the great physician and under the care of Dr. Williams and the team here, and Brian survives, we'll salute that flag and move out with that mission. But if instead you've brought Brian here and under the care and compassion of his fellow Americans and quietly call him into eternity, we'll salute that flag, too. It was an acknowledgment of whose picture hangs above the President of the United States in my chain of command photos of my life and my eternity. And when that prayer was over with, and the thing that I, there's so many things I remember from September 11th, Dan, but the thing that I will remember to my dying day that I remember most vividly is the placing of the mask over my face, beginning to feel my head being tilted back as they're about to intubate me with the putting the thing through the throat to give me a, because my, my, my lungs are burned. I mean, my, my throat's swelling from, you know, being burned. So they've got to give me a dedicated airway, and they're applying anesthesia to me. I'll never forget that imagery of, of this is the last thing I'm going, I may see before I see my Lord. And as they tilt my head back, and that would be the first of, of many operations. My, my medical care to rebuild me to reach what's called maximum medical improvement would be four years. I would be medically done with some months in between procedures, obviously, for the recovery of that procedure. But, but I'd be medically done in September of 05. And by the Lord's grace, and look, this is the real blessing. I'm still, still married to Mel. Got to see my son grow up and graduate high school and college at Texas Tech and get married. And I now have uh, two grandchildren, Elijah and Lily. And uh, I still get to live with, with all of our maladies. Uh, I still get to live in the greatest place on God's green earth until he calls us into eternity. And that's the blessing of, of the way the Lord's given me my life more than once. Oh my gosh, I'm telling you, I have heard your story probably 10 times, and I swear on my life, every time I hear it, it's, it's as impactful as it was the first time. It doesn't, it doesn't lose any of the impact. Senator, I got about uh, uh, two minutes left, but, yes, you know, I, I went through this um, um, about with, with, with cancer. My story is not one one thousandth as impactful. It was a mild form. And, you know, Larry David used to joke, it's the good cancer on the show. So, but I, before I knew what it was, he did. He was like, oh, if you're going to get it, that's the good cancer, you know? Um, but we didn't know that when I first had this massive chunk taken out of my neck, this tumor, there was speculation. It was something worse. And the only thing I could think about, uh, was my wife and kids and <sighs> yeah. 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 Go ahead. Dan. It's hard. I shouldn't talk about this on the radio, but Okay, buddy. All right, mean, get it together, man. Gosh. No, no. All I can think about was that. Because the, you've got it together because the Lord's on your side. So He is. I have him right here. I have him right here on the desk looking at me. But all I could think about was, uh, uh, is that what occurred to you, those lost moments? Like, you'll never see that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the there was no opportunity, you know, for, for somebody to call Mel. I mean, the... The cell phone lines were so, I mean, you know, all the communication that day, just everybody's on the phone um, and all jammed up. And, and you know, that opportunity that I, you know, you're never going to see that family member again. Look, I know someday that that 
you know, the Lord will, will call me. And it's in some ways it's, you know, we're going to miss Queen Elizabeth, but at 96, she lived a full life, got to see, you know, kids grow up, grandkids, great grandkids. And, you know, at, at, 39 when September 11th happened for me you were what 26 27 maybe 28 you know yeah, brand new secret service agent yeah. and and yeah. it, in your 40s you've had the, the you know in your 40s you're like you know man I, my kids are growing up you know you don't want to be out of the picture in your 40s in your 90s no. you know you know it's coming and it's coming soon um, yeah and that's and that's hard you know, My father always says, Senator, he tells me um, he's only in his 70s, but he's lived a rather full life. And he's fine. He's healthy. But he says, you know, I, I know I'm running out of exits on the highway. And uh, you're right. Yeah. When you're in yeah. your 30s or when I, w- I was in my late 20s and then 40s when the cancer thing happened, you're right. You just say to yourself, there's wait, there's 30, 40 more exits left before I reach my destination. I'm not there. And Senator, I got to yeah. tell you, this has been... Um, uh, really um, incredible moment on radio. I probably shouldn't have brought that up because I always melt down when I think back to it. But your story is just one of the most powerful things I've ever heard. I am convinced that this microphone that God has blessed me with is a vehicle for people like yourself to change lives. I know based on the now probably 200 Facebook messages I've gotten just in the last 30 seconds about you because I'm looking at it here that you've changed lives and God is using you. And uh, I deeply appreciate you coming on. I wish I didn't have to go. I wish it was a five-hour show today. But uh, we always would love to have you back. You're a good man, Senator. And I deeply appreciate you spending a few minutes with us today. Well, it's my honor to spend it with you because, like I said, you you are doing an an immense job, um, high-speed, high-performing radio talk show host. And, you know, like you you say, there's no rush. But I'm telling you, you're the guy that people are turning into um, because they're they're ordering their day around your show, and Thank you, sir. I, I'm just I'm honor. just honored to be called your friend and to have you as a friend. Yeah. God bless you. Um, you will always it's my be treat my to be with you today. Hua, <laughs> Senator State Senator Brian Birdwell, folks, real American hero. Thank you, sir. All right, we got to take a break, folks. Been a lot of radio today. What an emotional roller coaster. That was Texas State Senator Brian Birdwell with a story that lives up to the motto: Never forget. I get choked up even listening to it now. Up next, we talk with Julie Kelly, uh, but let's get to our next sponsor first. Papa Carmine's Hot Peppers. It's a fiery mix of serrano, jalapeno, and red bell peppers, vegetables, and olives submerged in oil with just the right amount of seasoning. Papa Carmine's Hot Peppers adds instant heat, crunch, and flavor to all types of food, including sandwiches, Italian beef, hot dogs, hamburgers, salads, pasta, tacos, chicken, steak, pizza, eggs, just about anything else. You can scoop it on or simply drizzle the infused oil on your favorite foods. Papa Carmine's Hot Peppers has just the right heat. Not too hot or too mild, and the delicious flavor lingers in your mouth long after you're done. Once you try Papa Carmine's Hot Peppers, you'll never buy a plain old jar of jalapenos again. Papa Carmine's is more than just hot peppers. It's a lifestyle. It's a must for all hot pepper lovers and proudly made in the USA. Order online today at papacarmines.com. Use promo code Bongino and save 10% off your first order. That's papacarmines.com, P-A-P-A-C-A-R-M-I-N-E-S, papacarmines.com, promo code Bongino and save 10% off your first order. Once you try Papa Carmines, you'll be a customer for life. 
you're looking for a firearm that's easy to transport, you got to check out the U.S. Survival Rifle from Henry Repeating Arms. It's a portable rifle you can put together and take apart in a few minutes. And then when you're not using it, you can store the parts in the little case it comes in. It's so small, it can be stored anywhere, in a go bag, anywhere. It's light enough to carry everywhere. Comes in black and two different camo patterns. You can pick one up for three to $400, depending on the finish. You can watch a few videos at henryusa.com survival. And while you're there, be sure to order their free catalog. Henry makes more than 200 rifles, shotguns, and revolvers in the role made in America, backed by a lifetime satisfaction guarantee and the best customer service in the business. Go to their website. It's henryusa.com and be sure to order a free catalog. They'll send it with free decals on a list of dealers in your area. That's henryusa.com for a free catalog and decals and to see the Henry U.S. Survival Rifle. Here's Julie Kelly with the latest on the documents taken from Trump's Mar-a-Lago home and what's going on with the January 6th clown show. You don't want to miss it. All right, always happy to welcome back to the show. And we're always uh, sure to add her interviews on our weekend podcast as well where we take the radio interviews and we put them on the podcast channel uh, because we think she's an important voice, one of the more important voices out there doing actual reporting. Uh, without further ado, the author of the book, January 6th, a uh, must-read, in my opinion, Julie Kelly. Julie, thanks for coming back. We appreciate it. Always happy to, Dan. Thanks so much for having me on. Sure. So before we get to um, my topic on what I want to cover today, which is just the various FBI debacles exposed, Julie, just this week, by the way, just we're not even talking about Spygate and other stuff. Um, I just uh, an update for us, if you have one on the now infamous January 6th bomber uh, where I put the air quotes up. You've been on the show talking about this for a while. The FBI has video of a subject planting what are alleged to be bombs at the DNC and RNC. January 6th and the day before. And yet, suspiciously, although it's the worst thing since Pearl Harbor and 9-11, we've heard nothing about it except from people like yourself and Darren Beatty over at Revolver. Any update on that? I know you will be shocked to hear there is no update. Not only no update, <laughs> this has been completely memory hold by the FBI, by the January 6th Select Committee, by the news media, um, to your point, Dan, this was the first sort of incident that started the panic that day that prompted the evacuation of a few house buildings. Um, there's many sketchy aspects to this, as we've discussed. The woman who, quote unquote, found the pipe bombs uh, works for a federal contractor that had just received a $92 million grant from the FBI. So it looks like possibly another hoax. So this could be why um, Christopher Ray just cannot seem to find the time to investigate so and identify the bomber. Mm -hmm. Jim, Julie, Jim, my producer's shaking his head. He can't believe it either. That they, they, they get to the bottom of it. Meanwhile, they're out there arresting grandma, posting her picture on Twitter. Can anyone find this 96-year-old in a walker? She's left the Capitol that day, but we can't seem to find this bomber. It's just so weird. So I get it. Well, no you know update. Really, yeah. What's even weirder about it, Dan, that you and I have talked about is Kamala Harris was in the DNC headquarters when this alleged pipe bomb was located. Yeah. So you had sitting senator, incoming vice president, whose life was endangered by this explosive device. And yet, again, yeah. no one seems to care. No one seems to care. Yeah. Yeah. No one seems so weird. I'm telling you, outside of you and Darren, uh, there is mm -hmm. almost nobody talking about this. Uh, let me move on to just, again, stuff that just broke this week. You know, uh, Julie, we got a call yesterday at the end of the show, a pretty touching call. A caller's name, we said it was Mike. I don't know what his real name is, obviously. 
He's like, listen, I'm a retired FBI guy. And he says, Dan, I got kids too. And my, my, my son called me the other day and he said, dad, you know, what the hell is going on at the FBI? And he said, Dan, I got to tell you, I, you know, I can't speak for everyone, but I speak for a good amount of retired agents. I still keep in communication with. And he said, uh, we're just horrified. We, we, you're right. Like what's happening right now is a disgrace. I mean, think about it. This story breaks last night from another great reporter, Miranda Devine at the New York Post, that a whistleblower is revealing that Facebook was now in cahoots with the FBI, giving them, wait for it, your private messages on Facebook, not Julie Kelly's public posts, your private like DM type stuff. So if you're using Facebook to coordinate groups and you're exchanging messages without a subpoena, according to the whistleblower, allegations nonetheless, but serious enough to address, they were giving this over to the FBI. This is a as clear as day a violation of the First Amendment. Oh, it really is. And look, this goes, um, this started really before the 2020 election. The FBI opened something called Operation Cold Snap in the spring of 2020. And this was to surveil social media chatter among Americans who protested or were planning to protest these uh, lockdowns. This, Dan, is how the FBI and social media and Facebook put together the Whitmer FedMappers the men who were lured by the FBI and their informants into this group that allegedly tried to kidnap and kill right. Gretchen Whitmer. Of course, there was an FBI operation. This is all an extension from that into the 2020 election and, of course, leading all the way through to January 6th. Miranda's piece is an absolute must-read because yeah. this thick uh, partnership between big tech and the country's most powerful law enforcement agency should really scare the hell out of everyone. Yeah, we're talking to Julie Kelly, author of a book you got to pick up. Please go today and buy it. It's called January 6th. It is an eye-opener in every sense of the word. Julie, I, had, I learned something new from you all the time. I, I honestly had forgotten about that, how the Fednapping case with Whitmer, that the, the nexus to Facebook groups, that I had completely forgotten that that's where the genesis for a lot of that came from. So, yeah, you're correct. This is not a new problem. Um, let me jump to another story, though, I had just addressed, too. Uh, Kerry Pickett has a piece out at the Washington Times. Again, this is just stuff from this week about the FBI. Clearly an organization that's failed in its mission at this point. Apparently, some FBI whistleblowers, and thank the Lord, and I'm not using his name in vain, that we're starting to see whistleblowers trickle out. Um, I wish we had more, but a whistleblower, or a couple of them, told the Washington Times that apparently Ray and the DOJ have some headquarters-based white supremacy-type quota. They're calling it like, a, what was the, the line about it before? Some kind of a, oh, internal metric for white supremacists. And the whistleblowers are saying that they're being pushed to recategorize people as white supremacists. I mean, can you think of a more destructive thing to do to law enforcement than to set up a perverse incentive that we're going to measure your performance based on how many white supremacists you can go and find? This is crazy. It is crazy. And it's all to bolster Christopher Ray's phony narrative that he launched in 2019, that white supremacist militia men, et cetera, posed uh, a grave threat to the country. This was his idea. This was also, again, the motivation to put together the Whitmer Fed mapping hoax. Um, and so now you have Joe Biden is going to host the summit. I think it's today talking about white supremacy and what a what a danger it is. And yet you have, you know, every week, these people inside the FBI 
So unfortunately, yes, we have whistleblowers, but for the most part, these agents and officials are going along with this. We need a lot more whistleblowers. We need a lot more people in there speaking out, um, because if it doesn't come from within the FBI, we know the GOP doesn't have the guts to reform it or dismantle it. Uh, It has to be uh, come from inside that agency. Yeah, you know, and I've taken a lot of heat for that. And that's fine. That's part of the business. But I've said the same thing that, yeah, listen, I'm, I'm sure there are a lot of good and decent people there, you know, running bank robbery cases who have nothing to do with this. But there are a lot in the rank and file who shouldn't get a pass either. What the hell were you doing being involved in this search warrant in Mar-a-Lago knowing right. this is something you did that has never been done in U.S. history? Don't, you know, Julie, I'm not going to be lectured by anyone. I'm not taking a victory lap, I'm not patting myself on the back. But I left when I saw something wrong. I left. So I'm not going to be lectured by anybody here. It pisses me off. And people, oh, the rank and file. Rank and file, nothing. You took part in this too. Wait, wait, I'm just obeying orders? I mean, really? We need to go through the historical analysis of that? Give me a break, man. You know, it's really upsetting. Um, one thing I'd like to get your thoughts on, I read a really great piece. It was at AFNN. It was about two weeks ago. And the author of the piece, he, he put together, I hadn't really thought of it in these terms. He's like, listen, granted, all this FBI, the bad news coming out, it's bad stuff. We get it. It's bad for PR. But the premise of the piece, Julie, was this has real world ramifications here that are really serious. Going forward, as public polling and the FBI collapses, you're going to have a problem with juries not believing them. You're going to have a problem with magistrates not trusting the warrants they swear out to. You're going to have a problem with witnesses not wanting to come forward. You're seeing it right now. Uh, Sergey Milian in the, in the Spygate case. He doesn't want to talk to them. I don't blame him. I mean, this is a real problem. It's not just a PR crisis. It's a national security crisis. It really is. Aside from the fact that the attention of the FBI and all counterterrorism agencies is now directed at the political right, which, of course, leaves us vulnerable to foreign threats, which still exist. You are right. I heard this again, and I keep going back to the Whitmer case because it is so instructional in terms of where this FBI is. It is not just a headquarters problem. We're talking about dozens of agents, supervising agents, handling agents, using informants and undercover agents out of multiple field offices to put this together. But during the second trial, Dan, um, when the judge was surveying the jury, potential jury pool, he asked them about their level of distrust for the government. And so many hands were raised that I think he was shocked. So this is a problem because when this agency's credibility is in the garbage where it is right now, not only to your point, are courts and judges not going to believe what they're presenting, but more importantly, our fellow Americans who comprise juries um, are not going to trust the FBI, even when they're producing actual real legitimate criminal charges, criminal cases. Yeah, that's a big deal. I mean, uh, uh, we don't even have to go to like the terrorism side. Make it easy. Your bank gets robbed. You've got the guy hook, line, and sinker. You've got him on video. You've got DNA evidence. He left some skin cells at the scene, whatever the hell it is. The guy, case goes to court. The guy's like, I'm not taking a plea. Nobody in this town trusts the FBI anyway. I'll take my chances. I mean, this is, this is so destructive that it's hard to believe that people like you and I and, and Tucker and, and, and Mark and others who've questioned these people are the only ones who get this right now. I mean, outside of the audience that this is going to really destroy the fabric of the constitutional republic. 
Um, Julie, I want to get to one more thing before I, I, I let you go because I really need your uh, take on this too. But Julie Kelly, author of January 6th. It's a great book. Please pick it up. Your thoughts on the Mar-a-Lago raid. One of the reasons I wanted to have you on, hence the last question, this will be the exit one. Um, you put out a great thread yesterday on Twitter saying, what the hell are they hiding with the special master? Why is the government so concerned about what they found? And I called Jim right away. I go, please get Julie on because she makes such a good point. If you found nuclear secrets and all this stuff, Julie, shouldn't you be eager for the special master, the independent voice to put out to the public? Look, the FBI was right. The nuclear codes were at Mar-a-Lago, but the government doesn't want that. It doesn't want anybody to see it but them. Really strange, isn't it? It's really strange. And Dan, they are pulling every trick that they possibly can to make sure that a third party does not look at these hundred or so pieces of paper that the government claims are classified documents. Now, of course, as you know, they stole 12,000 records out of uh, Trump's home on August 8th. Now we find out that only a hundred or so have quote unquote classified markings. So Donald Trump wants a third party, a special master to look at these documents, review all of them. The government is trying everything they possibly can, DOJ, to prevent a third party from looking at these documents that they claim are classified. To the extent, Dan, the day that Judge Cannon announced she was open to appointing a special master, the intelligence community led by Avril Haines, a longtime Obama confidant, John Brennan's former deputy or chief of staff, now heads the intelligence community, announced they were going to conduct a national security review of these classified documents. They're doing everything they can to keep this under wraps, even from judges and a special master, which, Dan, what does that suggest to you and your very astute listeners? The government, again, this DOJ is lying. These are not classified documents. They're lying and they're trying to cover it up. Yes, my gosh. I mean, when you're Julie Kelly and you're writing a book, there's nothing you want more than an independent third party voice to come in and go, hey, she's right. Like, these are the facts about what happened on January 6th. Pick up the book, by the way. It's called January 6th by Julie Kelly. Yeah, I got to seamlessly blow off, get that plug in there. But seriously, there's nothing you want more than independent people to verify your work. When independent people, you're trying to keep them from verifying your work, it says exactly what you surmise from this, that they're trying to hide something. And it's not Donald Trump. Trump's calling for transparency in this. Julie Kelly, author of the book, January 6th. Please pick it up, folks. Support her great work. Thanks for coming on. You know you're always welcome back. You're always terrific. And we'll put this on the podcast show for the weekend, folks, if you missed any of it. Thanks, Julie. Thanks, Dan. You're the best. Oh, thanks. We love her as a guest, folks. Tells it like it is. You see, there are people out there, Kerry Pickett, Julie Kelly, Darren Beatty, actually doing honest reporting. So chest up, chin out for a moment. There are a few good people left. Up next, we talk with Dan Horowitz about the vaccine and all the troubles piling up. Don't miss this interview. Here's Dan Horowitz with some incredible news. Really, really awful news on how you've been misled on vaccine information. He has the studies to prove it and back it up. You're not going to want to miss this. All right, every time I have this guest on, he writes for a conservative review. Um, I always get an enormous amount of feedback. He's so popular, we're going to include him on our weekend interview show on the podcast channel, uh, rumble.com slash Bongino is where you can get the Dan Bongino podcast in addition to Apple and Spotify, even though the interview hasn't happened yet. And Jim had me record a liner that it was great. So Dan Horowitz, welcome back to the show. And you better be great. Because you're already on the show, and we've already said you're great for the weekend. So big expectations, buddy. 
Well, look, Dan, you know, after listening to me, your blood is always boiling. But you know what? That's one way of breaking up those <laughs> vaccine-induced blood clots. Yes, man. Well, nobody uh, – you, Phil Kirpin – Berenson and others are where I go when I want real science. The irony is I don't actually go uh, to credentialed leftist scientists anymore because they've lied to us so often. No, it's true. I just want the truth and you provide it. You had a piece out this week I discussed on the show. I got so much feedback. I wanted to have you on to bring it up again. Um, it's about not only declining efficacy of the mRNA vaccines for covid but you had a stunning little tidbit. You had charts and everything in the Peace and Conservative Review um, that the vaccine in some cases or maybe some evidence that it's actually wiping out natural immunity. Now, Dan, that's a whole different level of inefficacy we're talking about here. Sure. So I guess your listeners by now are probably familiar with Paxlovid, the Pfizer drug that seems to cause a rebound. So the more you take it, the more you get the rebound, the more you have to take it again. It's a brilliant model. Now, has everyone, has anyone wondered why it is that we're two and a half years into this and it's still going on? I mean, no one thought it would go on that long. The Spanish flu didn't go on that long. And what, what we started to notice, I mean, you remember some very famous people, Jen Psaki and others got COVID twice even after getting the shots. Now, originally, it was very clear the shots weren't working. So we thought, all right, well, everyone's going to get it. But by hook or by crook, you'll get your immunity and then it will be over with. Mm -hmm. But the yeah. problem is it appears now. Um, and, and by the way, this was a study published in the New England Journal of Medicine. So they wanted to say, hey, buddy, you keep you keep uh, running the risk of getting it, so you have to get more boosters. Is that that was right. their conclusion? But if you look at the charts, what they were showing is that it actually erased your natural immunity. Because think about it: the only reason you would need a booster is if it actually erases your natural immunity. Because again, okay, so you got it, like everyone else, it worked. You're done. Why should you need another booster either way? And that's what this study seems to show. They looked at hundreds of thousands of children uh, previously infected with the vaccine, not previously infected with the vaccine, and then the other cohort, which were, um, you know, uh, didn't get the vaccine and previously infected. And they compared it and they found that actually if you have the shots – if you have the shots, even though you already had COVID, you're at more risk of getting it after a few months than those without the shot who never got COVID, who never wait, got wait, wait. it. Say that part again. See, that's that's the thing that kicked my ass. When I read that in yep. your piece, it's up at Conservative Review. We're talking to Dan Horowitz. Look him up. Um, that's the part that got me. That if you had COVID and got the vaccine, you were in worse shape than if you had COVID and didn't in relationship to your chances of getting it again. And again, am I reading that wrong? And by the way, this isn't a conspiracy theory. You're just citing reputable data from reputable journals, correct? Yep. yep, you'll see the charts there where it goes below the zero line with the negative efficacy. But again, this is not an isolated study. We've seen the negative efficacy for about a year. And the UK was talking about this for a while, just real briefly. There's S antibodies, which are the spike. It recognizes the spike. And there's N antibodies, the nucleocapsid antibodies. So 
how could it erase your natural immunity? Maybe a race isn't the right way to picture it, but that's the net effect. It's, it gives your immune system tunnel vision to teach it to respond stupidly. It only recognizes the spike, the birthday hat, you know, on the funny looking thing on top of the cell. And it focuses on that, not the whole enchilada, the nuclear capsid. Um, you get N antibodies after you get natural infection. In fact, all these studies, when they figure out how many people had the virus, who has antibodies through the shot, that's how they figure it out. If you have N antibodies, they know you had natural infection. But they found that people getting the shots, even though they know they had COVID, weren't producing those nucleocapsid antibodies. And this is broadly called original antigenic sin, that if you teach the body, and especially if you get boosters and you get this enough times, you teach the body to respond very ineffectively or very, very inefficiently. It's called original antigenic sin. And then especially as the virus evolves and changes, so you really only recognize a very tiny sliver of it. It's kind of like half-baked antibodies. That's how you get your negative efficacy. You get your system to misfire and not respond the way God intended for it to respond. Um, but this contrived way. So again, this is why vaccines are studied for 10, 20 years. They really have to be perfect because if they're not and they misfire, many things in life, a half a loaf is better than no loaf. But when it comes to microbiology, a half a loaf gets you negative. Yeah, yeah. Vaccines are not one of those scenarios where a half a loaf is better. And by the way, original antigenic sin is not a new concept. This has been around for a very long time. I've had Dr. McCullough, Dr. Cariotti, uh, truth tellers on my show on Fox and on this show many times saying this isn't new. The problem of original antigenic sin. Um, people have known about it forever. We just rush these things out. Dan, we're talking to Dan Horowitz. Uh, Dan, by the way, uh, where can people find you? I know you're on telegram, correct? I want to make sure people can find you because I always get questions about where they can find your work. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm kicked off of most places, but at C-19 Truth Bombs, um, that's where you're going to hear more of these bombs. Every aspect of the virus, the politics, the legality, we try to cover it all. That's Telegram, right? At C-19 Truth Bombs, folks, because I get that question a lot. Dan, how do you respond to critics? Whenever I put out your material, I'll get a bunch of lefties or doctors and I'll listen. If you got a point based in science, I don't care about your politics. I'll hear it out. Sure. But I get this a lot. They say, well, you know what? That may be the case. The data may say that. But the hard reality is if you get the vaccine and you get the virus, uh, the strong likelihood is you'll stay out of the hospital and you'll avoid serious illness. So you may get it repeatedly, but it'll be like getting the cold every year. Therefore, the vaccines on net are a big positive value added development. How do you respond to that? Sure. So so here's the problem with that. In, in the era of Omicron, if you didn't get the vaccine or you didn't have prior immunity, either one or you did, didn't, you're not landing in the hospital anyway. Actually just came out that the fatality rate is now likely less than 0.1%, less than the seasonal flu. So, right. you know, thank God, no thanks to them. Omicron is just, it's very transmissible, but the fundamental difference is it's not really a lung disorder anymore and, and a blood-based disorder, you know, with the with the blood clotting and everything. 
it's really just a traditional upper respiratory virus. It can have these quirky things that are annoying and could annoy a person for a few weeks and linger, but you're not really going to die from it. And that's, I mean, that's what we're seeing around the world. So, um, yeah, I mean, we're lucky that it mutated into Omicron, wherever Omicron came from, but it still doesn't change the fact that to begin with, this is no longer an emergency. The strain around here is not deadly. So if your concern is just getting it and spreading it, which they seem to be still concerned based on the mandates and the military and healthcare, it appears that this will spread it even more. So the fact yeah. that you won't land in the hospital is immaterial because nobody does. All right. So if, if, if I'm reading you right, we're talking to Dan Horowitz, folks. He's at C19 Truth Bombs on Telegram. Uh, excellent articles up at Conservative Review. And I'll get to your next one about the cornea rejection thing in a minute. That's eye-opening. But if I'm reading you right, um, if we had a perfect vaccine and you have to be perfect in the vaccine business, as you just said, then great. Um, that would have been awesome and it would have stopped it. I think we can all agree that would have been fantastic. Game over. That's not what happened. What you're saying, I guess, is if we weren't going to have a perfect vaccine, but a leaky vaccine that causes original antigenic sin, we were better with nothing because the virus was eventually going to evolve, evolve as it did to a virus with a high R not. It's very contagious, but thankfully, like most viruses do, less fatal because it kill off, kills off more of the host. And then we'd be in a better place right now if we had done nothing than done what we did with this rush vaccine. Is, is, is that kind of a Reader's Digest abstract version? Exactly. Even before you get to the other side of the coin, which was the over 14,000 categories of injuries that seem to be associated oh, yeah. with yeah, it. Yeah, we haven't even you know, touched that yeah. one. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, th right. this is just assuming it's, it's, it's like taking a vitamin D pill or something. It doesn't do anything to you. So, yeah, you, you have just from a microbiological standpoint, this is what Dr. Gert Vandenbosch was warning about, that if you challenge a virus – with suboptimal antibodies, you run the risk of giving it a good workout and making it more durable and constantly evolving around what you challenge it with. And the more narrow spectrum the thing you challenge it with, the more half-assed, the more it's going to have an easy, easier time mutating around that. I think that's become pretty obvious, the fact that this just doesn't seem to go away. And, and I also will add, Dan, that people do forget there was a little window there, I'd say November, December 2021, maybe into January 2022, where you had the shots around, you had the boosters, and you didn't quite have Omicron dominating yet or exclusively. You had some of the other strains. And I will tell you, I mean, you know, we, we helped a lot of people with treatment, and any doctor who has treated people will tell you you did have people who were vaccinated, had three shots. They'd call me in distress. They're in the hospital. Their blood oxygen level is low. They're giving them remdesivir. I need help. Could you call or get a lawyer for me? Could you get Dr. Corey and the FLCC involved? So the reality on the ground was we were lied to about those statistics. There were plenty of vaccinated people getting critically ill from it when the strain you know, was still circulating. That was very serious. I know you and Steve Dace have a book uh, coming out. I, hope, I don't want to give away any details. We'll have you back when that comes out, the both of you. Um, but I got about a, a hard minute and 30 left. Dan, just your latest article uh, about rejection of co uh, cornea transplants with people with the vaccine. Again, I got a minute and 30. Uh, just explain that. This is even more disturbing than some of the other stuff. 
one of the most heartbreaking things I've dealt with over the last year is people being denied organ transplants because they didn't get the, the shot. It's truly a violation of the Nuremberg Code. It's unbelievable. Now, they were saying that, well, you know, you're going to die if you don't get the shot. So it's just like kind of wasting an organ. Well, it turns out from here, this is a Japanese study in the Journal of Clinical Medicine that they're finding a very strong correlation with people rejecting their cornea tissue transplants even if they got it like 20 years ago, um, they within a couple days of getting the shots, their body would start rejecting, their, their cells would start attacking it. What's very unique here is you almost never see rejections in the cornea, like you see with like kidneys and livers and things like that. And the reason is because the, the immune system doesn't cross the blood-brain barrier. It doesn't really, the, the killer T cells don't get up there. The lipid nanoparticles of the shot delivers the spike and all of its inflammatory T-cell responses thereof to every nook and cranny of your body, and it's now causing rejection. So again, the exact opposite of what they said. Can you imagine the people, can, can, yeah. right? Can you imagine this? You're kept off a transplant list because you didn't get a vaccine. That evidence is starting to pile up makes you more likely to reject. That is just, that is so every so, I, I, Dan, single thing. I, I, see, uh, folks, Dan Horowitz, he is at C19 Truth Bombs on Telegram. Please look up his work at Conservative Review. It is amazing. Read all his articles. Dan, I got to run. We'll rebroadcast this on the podcast channel during the weekend. Thanks so much for coming on. Have a great weekend. Take care. You got it. I told you, folks, he doesn't disappoint. See, Jim? Now now you're you're vindicated. Jim had me record how great his interview was before we even did it. (laughs) It was great, right? That was Dan Horowitz. Up next is uh, Dr. Oz. We'll get to Dr. Oz in a second about his campaign in Pennsylvania for the United States Senate. Let me tell you about our next sponsor first. Birch Gold. Folks, the Fed chair is freaking out about inflation. The leftist government is clearly ignoring him. Where does it leave us? Let me tell you where it leaves you. It leaves you with growing inflation, like the 8.3% year-over-year number that popped. Inflation means your money buys less. It's really that simple. Meaning you've got a wallet, it's got this amount of money, and every day it buys less and less and less and less and less. So how do you hedge? Do what I did. Folks, I don't make this stuff up, okay? Only use sponsors I use. I just bought Birch Gold from them again. It's the second time, said it multiple times. I trust them. Their customer service is amazing. B-I-R-C-H, Birch Gold Group. That's how I hedge. It's how you should hedge against inflation too. I want to own physical gold and silver and a tax-sheltered account because I want to hedge against inflation. It's important. If you're skeptical about the trajectory of the economy in the U.S. dollars, you should be. Then text DAN today, D-A-N. Text DAN to 989898. Birch Gold will send you a free information kit on securing your savings with gold. I'm a customer. I'm grateful that I am. I've been well-protected. And Birch Gold is legit. I've used them. They've been around almost 20 years. Five-star reviews. Thousands of satisfied customers. Check them out today. Just text Dan to 989898. Secure your future with gold. Do it today. Don't wait. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Message and data rates supply. Thanks, Birch Gold. With cyber attacks on the rise, protecting your data security is more important than ever. So why is Congress considering a law that puts your data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill shifts billions in consumer spending to less secure payment networks, all so that corporate megastores can make bigger profits. Don't let Durbin Marshall steal your data. Visit handsoffmyrewards.com security and tell your senators to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Paid for by Electronic Payments Coalition. Here's Dr. Mehmet Oz, GOP nominee for Senate. He's in a really super tough race in Pennsylvania. It's a seat we have to hold. 
He talks about how important it is. Listen, whatever your opinion is of this race right now, you got to listen. This could change the perspective of the country and could change your perspective on the race. We have to win this race. Check this out. Folks, uh, the limitations of the English language prevent me from accenting strongly enough the importance of the Pennsylvania Senate race. I'm not being hyperbolic. It's not an exaggeration. It could be uh, the difference between lunatics running the Senate or Republicans running the Senate. That's how this, this is balancing on a razor's edge. The candidates there, you probably know at this point, on the Republican side are Dr. Mehmet Oz, and on the Democrat side is uh, Lieutenant Governor Fetterman. Joining us today uh, for the first time on the radio show, Dr. Mehmet Oz. Dr. Oz, thanks for spending some time with us. We appreciate it. Dan, I appreciate all you're doing, and I'll be here for you because you're <laughs> helping me get the word out about what you just pointed to. And I'll just stay up front because I know you're national. The reason John Fetterman is, is, you know, has a big coffer of money is because California and New York liberals do not know what we're about to teach you. So if you're frustrated by it, and you will be, DrOz.com is our website. Come support us. But we need to get the word out to everybody that the people they're supporting are dangerous for the country, not just Pennsylvania. Uh, Doc, that's so true, and that's the reason I've been focusing so extensively on uh, a, 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 I mean, beyond radical. Radical doesn't even describe Fetterman. I mean, just listen to his own words. Because, yes, it's a Pennsylvania race in the sense, obviously, only citizens of Pennsylvania can vote, but it's not. I mean, you could be the 51st vote on everything from immigration policy to tax policy to an extension of the Trump tax cuts. I mean, this is a pivotal race, and the problem here is, this is in marginal differences, Doc. It's not like, well, it's a Kirsten Cinema, Joe Manchin type versus, uh, you know, that, that's not what's going on here. You have a guy to the left of Bernie Sanders and Fetterman who's never had a job in his life running to be the U.S. senator who could be deciding U.S. national policy. This is a national race. Well, if you drill into the reality of his life, it's a little bit embarrassing that he would be the potential Senate candidate from the Democratic Party. Forget about from the Commonwealth. The Democrats didn't want him. They tried to block him. They were one vote short of endorsing his opponent, uh, who is a more centrist Democrat. But this guy said, if you like Joe Manchin, don't vote for me because I'm not working with the moderate Democrats. I don't I definitely not working with Republicans. He is AOC on steroids. Uh, Bernie Sanders, by the way, have endorsed each other, called each other the two most progressive candidates in America, wants to destroy all private health care. But I don't even talk about that because the main issue that's come up right now is the fact that he is advocating for anyone who breaks the law pretty much. The, the, the Fraternal Order of Police endorsed me unanimously because they detest him so much. He wants to release one-third of all prisoners from our jails. He believes in legalizing all drugs. And then I'm going to tell you why that's important in a second. He wants also, by the way, open borders, sanctuary cities, you know, all the predictable things. He believes Joe Manchin was wrong to hold back Joe Biden, and, and they should have spent recklessly billions more, which would have, of course, worsened the 40-year inflation all of us are suffering from. But in the middle of all that, he's saying those things. And I'm a doctor, right? So the first thing I do is I listen, and I see, do, do my ideas work? Here's what ideas have given us in Pennsylvania. And you don't want this where you live. <laughs> you, we have the highest homicide rate ever in Philadelphia. We'll break the record this year from last year. We have the largest open-air drug market in the country in Philadelphia. City blocks after city blocks, you can't go down because people have needles sticking out of their necks. Uh, he wants safe heroin injection sites, by the way, which is partly led to this. He strongly feels 
that we should have sanctuary cities, yet we have the highest fentanyl overdose rate right here now. And across Pennsylvania, it's the number three state in the country with fentanyl overdoses because of these weak policies. So how can you possibly defend it? You can't. That brings me to issue number two. He's refusing to answer any questions. Literally, imagine this in a democracy. You could be a candidate for the United States Senate, the greatest deliberative body in the world, and refuse to answer questions. He won't answer questions from the press. He won't take questions on his campaign tours, which he rarely goes to anyway. And he uh, has refused to debate me. He just recently said he would come to a debate, but at a, you know, at a future draft right. course. You know, no, no details, <laughs> times, places, no TV stations, right. no specifics. I've agreed to three debates in September, three in October. Early voting starts this month in Pennsylvania. He's insulting the voters of Pennsylvania by dodging this requirement. And it's starting to hurt him. It's why the polls have closed dramatically. And despite the fact he's got a huge war chest from, again, from the coast, from elitists who don't understand the dire risks that our nation would face. He wants to bust the filibuster. Think about that. No filibuster. Pack the Supreme Court. Add more states. The worst nightmare for everybody. And yet people are still supporting him. Yeah. We're talking to Dr. Mehmet Oz, GOP nominee for the United States Senate in Pennsylvania against the disastrous uh, John Fetterman, the lieutenant governor. Doc, listen, uh, you're a you know, classier guy than I am. I, I don't know, man. I, I don't have that guy on my shoulder telling me what not to say. I, I got to be honest with you. And you don't have to comment if you don't want, but I'm really tired of the act with this guy. I, I genuinely haven't gone through a health crisis myself, genuinely and sincerely feel for him. I don't, I had a, a, a you know, a, a cousin of mine who had a devastating stroke at a young age of those, um, those kind of that blood loss to the brain can result in some serious problems. And I wish him the best, but the hard reality is nobody forced him to run for Senate. Um, and if you're going to claim on one hand that you don't want to debate, which what he's doing is he didn't really agree to a debate. I'm glad you just exposed him. He's like, yeah, I'll debate um, after the election when I win. He didn't really agree to a debate. So he's saying he wants to debate while not debating. But then he's saying he has the ability to go to the Senate floor to debate the most significant issues of our time and do it effectively on behalf of Pennsylvania. It's like th- th- those arguments are zero sum. Like you, you, that doesn't make sense. You know, it, it, you can't have it both ways. Well, he wants to have it both ways. You know, he says he's healthy enough to debate, but he doesn't want to do them. And I think it's because he's really bad at debates. He doesn't like defending his radical record, which, you know, it's easy to talk about policy on Twitter. You put 140 characters out there and you don't defend it. And when it doesn't work out, you can duck. Right. I'm not going to let him do that. But in fairness, if it's if his health isn't there, he's been lying to us. He's been lying about his health. Listen, my story's straightforward. I mean, you all know this. I'm, my dad was an immigrant, grew up on a dirt floor worked his tail off to become a medical student, was recruited to America, lived the American dream. My whole life has been about realizing if you work hard for your fellow American, help America, you get to be an American. It's pretty cool. And it's the only place on the planet, really, that does this, which is why hundreds of millions of people try to get into our country. And yet, Fetterman and radicals on the left, this is not Democrats. They're moderate Democrats don't like this guy. The radical left side of the party has lost its its bearing. It's become unhinged. They don't believe in the American dream. They don't believe in the American people. They don't think we have the grit, the innovation, do it ourselves. Because Fetterman's never had a job, because he's failed at things he's tried to do. He grew up rich, hasn't done much with it. You know, according to him, he uh, he thinks the government's got to come in and save the day. And I have done it myself my whole life. And I've done well. And I've given back. I've started, you know, probably one of the largest foundations to help at-risk teens figure out their lives. I've worked hard to change the way we talk about health, but it is essential that I'm able to define John Fetterman as the radical that he is. Doc, uh, you know, I have a unique perspective hosting this show, having been um, 
seen the White House from the inside, but having run for office, I lost. I ran three times. I lost. God had different plans. You know, I joke with the audience. Sometimes you ask God for an answer and it's no. And that's okay. It wasn't for me. I just didn't have the temperament for it. You know, I, I don't know. But I know I know what you're going through. I was a nominee in Maryland. Um, and although it wasn't as high profile a race because nobody considered it competitive at the time, and it honestly wasn't, um, you know, I know what you're going through. And I know it was a tough primary. I know that. I get it. Primaries are really ugly affairs. They can be because it's an intra-family squabble. And it's tough. But, but that stuff's over now. Um, that stuff's over now. And, and, and what I really want people to understand is you gave up a lot for this. I mean, you are now, a, you're now one of us. And with being one of us, there's a lot of downsides, Doc. I think you're starting to realize that now. You'll never be accepted at foie gras cocktail parties anymore without people giving you a side eye. I mean, there's a real consequence to this. And uh, it really bothers me that a guy who's never had a job in Fetterman, never, whose mommy and daddy took care of him his entire life, goes out there and pretend like, hey, I'm taking it on the chin with my car heart. Look at me. I'm a badass. And yet he's never had a job. And yet you give up this huge TV show. You get to, you know, you went to a lot of cool events and places. You did this voluntary. Like, you know what? I want to do this. And I get a little annoyed, candidly, when some people, you know, take pot shots. I, admi- I admire what you're doing. I, you know, not without some reservations about any politician. I hope you understand, even myself. But... I admire what you did, and this guy doesn't deserve the accolades he gets. He hasn't done a damn thing. Well, you're kind to say that, and we, we shouldn't get along on everything. We should have differences. That's how we find the truth. That's and that's right. one of the main reasons I got involved in this race, because I don't think in America you can say what you see anymore. It's just, I played football in college. The last words I would hear before I ran out in the field were, home of the brave. Not the free, not the industrious, not the cool, not liberty. It's the brave. Why? Because you don't get to be free if you're not brave. And we in America have allowed the left radical side of the political spectrum to silence everybody else. We saw it in COVID, right? You bring up even the simplest reality. Hey, what about treatment besides the vaccine? Ah, you're an anti-vaxxer. No, no, I didn't say that. I'm I'm okay with vaccines. I'm just talking about I don't like the mandates, and I I think we should get treatment. No, 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 you're a bad person. And I'm thinking when you mix politics and medicine, you get politics. We literally suffocated innovation. Same thing in energy policy, where we got these cockamamie Green New Deal ideas. It does not work. Quite the opposite. You have to sell the country to China to do this. These are fixable problems. I certainly have strong feelings about education in America, where we should not be teaching five-year-olds algebra, or because they won't get it, and we shouldn't be teaching about gender, because they won't get it. It's confusing. These are scientifically not valid, yet we're lied to, told we're dumb, because there is some science out there that they think is valid. It's not. I've done the homework. So I'm running to make sure that we don't use false excuses to trick people into acquiescing, that we allow people to have a voice so our country thrives, and to protect the American dream. Because most of all, you know, yeah, I believe in the American dream, but I believe in you. The people listening to this program now, I believe you can figure this out if we give you the tools. My opponent, Betterman, at his core, doesn't get that. That's why he's lost. The reason he can't do things for himself, he doesn't have confidence in himself, I believe. I, make, I don't know yeah. that I haven't analyzed him, but it's coming across in every single policy difference that we have. We need American leadership that understands what America is about and has confidence in our grit, our innovation, and our can-do attitude. We're talking to Dr. Mehmet Oz, GOP nominee. Doc, last question. I got about uh, two minutes left, but uh, uh, when I uh, did my MBA at Penn State, uh, we did a, uh, an externship 
with a natural gas company up there. I'm not going to say who, because the left will try to burn it down, the headquarters, because they're crazy. But I learned a lot. And one of the things we did is we spent some time out there in a fracking field. Uh, big business in Pennsylvania. Huge. They got the Marcellus play, a bunch of, uh, it, it, the, the petrochemical business employs a whole lot of people. Fetterman is a energy suicide pack guy. He wants the Green New Deal stuff despite no technology to get there. This guy would rather see you freeze to death than support jobs and energy in Pennsylvania. Well, that's one of the reasons the trades have not embraced him. They know that he'll destroy their jobs. Pennsylvania has manufacturing because our energy is affordable. You take that away, that those businesses leave. And unfortunately, Fetterman has called fracking a stain on Pennsylvania. He has moved for moratorium on it, wants to hurt the pipeline, thinks we can regulate it out of existence. And I'm thinking, that hurts local people trying to make a living. It hurts the business, that community that doesn't trust them. It hurts the union workers, and it actually brings prices up because it's about a third of inflation is driven by energy costs. But, and most importantly, it hurts our national security. And yet the guy, again, he'll tweet it out. It sounds cool. But when you actually drill down into it, there's no there there. There's no idea about the impact that would have. This, the Senate is not a game. You need to have worked hard your whole life to understand how you can work hard for other people. I pledge I will do that. But Fetterman doesn't get it. And I think Pennsylvania, every state should have a senator who's capable of doing the job, who will fight for them, and should be able to explain all of their positions. He just doesn't do that. And the fact that the yeah. press... This has come up this week quite loudly. The press has hidden him from us. They've created a caricature of a senator, a, a hologram that you're now told to believe is, is real. De- defend all of his shortcomings when he had his Doc, initial- Doc let me just stop you right there. That's, that's, that sounds like something that happened before uh, with a guy. What's his name, Jim? Joe. <laughs> oh, Joe Biden in the White House. Yeah, they did the same. That's how we wound up with 8.6% inflation, an open border, and, and, and Vladimir Putin sitting in southern Ukraine. So let's not emulate that with Fetterman. Doc, what's the website? I want to get it out before we uh, rock and roll so people can help you out. DrOz.com. I don't care if it's 10 bucks. Reach in. Whatever you want to do, double it, please. We will take these guys out. Do not let Democrats outraise us in Pennsylvania. We get our message out. We win the seat, and we control the Senate. Oh, from your mouth to God's ears, we can't lose that seat. Dr. Oz, thanks for your time. We really appreciate it. Good luck. Take care, my friend. Bye-bye. You got it. Folks, we need that seat, man. We need that seat. I'm telling you, we lose that seat. You are going to be looking at Chuck Schumer jamming down your throat, devastating policies. And that seat is a, obviously, like every Senate seat, is six years. We can't lose it. That was Dr. Oz. Up next is Father Calvin Robinson. If you haven't heard of him, you should. That's a lot of great media hits on the culture wars. Let me tell you about our final sponsor first. I've told you how important it is to have a VPN to protect your online privacy, but choosing a VPN you trust is equally as important. Now, I only recommend brands to my listeners I believe in. I can say with full confidence, ExpressVPN is the best VPN on the market. Here's why. Number one, ExpressVPN doesn't log your activity online. They developed a technology called Trusted Server. It makes their VPN servers incapable of storing any data at all. Number two, it's fast. ExpressVPN now uses Lightway, a new VPN protocol they engineered to make user speeds faster than ever. ExpressVPN is always blazing fast. It lets me stream videos in HD quality with zero buffering. Three, ExpressVPN is easy to use. You don't need any technical skills to set it up. Fire up the app, hit a button, and you're connected. Business Insider, The Verge, and many other tech journals rate ExpressVPN the number one VPN in the world. Go to expressvpn.com slash Bongino today. Get an extra three months free on a one-year package. That's expressvpn.com slash Bongino.
This guy's a great conservative. I've been following him for a while. Calvin Robinson, father Calvin Robinson, Anglican deacon. Now We talked about the future of the monarchy and also if conservatism can win the day in the UK again, amongst other things. This turned into a really interesting conversation. Take a listen. You know, I've been following this gentleman for a very long time on social media. And some of his appearances on international media outlets are just spectacular. Um, if you don't know who he is, you should. You can follow him on his Twitter account. He is at Calvin Robinson, C-A-L-V-I-N, at Calvin Robinson. Um, he is an ordained Anglican deacon. So, Father Calvin Robinson, thank you very much for joining us. What an honor to have you on the show. Dan, the honor is all mine. It's an absolute pleasure to be on your show. Thank you. Uh, we, I've followed you for so long. You have such just great moments on these video channels where you just take it to these people on the left trying to steal away our civil liberties. Uh, before we get to that, though, um, obviously a close follower of everything going on in the United Kingdom, a lot going on right now between Liz Truss and the, the death of the Queen, which even though she was 96, I have to be honest with you, Father, uh, caught me off guard. I didn't see that coming. But now we have King Charles III, um, he is, the, the, the queen, I think we can all agree, was very adept at navigating the perils of a monarchy and keeping PR on her side. You need that. Is King Charles going to be that good at this, Father? I mean, he's been very, very political over the years. I know. This is my major concern. Uh, Prince Charles was a big political figure, spent a lot of time in Davos. He had a massive green agenda. However, as King Charles III, I think he understands and appreciates that he has to be apolitical. He did make a note in his opening speech that pretty much said that. Uh, we're all hoping and praying that he's going to leave behind the net zero stuff and the WEF friends of his and focus on being that, that glue, that constitutional monarchy that holds the country together rather than you know, peddling politics. Yeah, I, I, I think even... Uh your brothers and sisters over here in the United States and her constitutional Republic feel the same way because, you know, there's always great admiration. I mean, I work over at Fox news, you know, that, and this stuff rates really well. I mean, people just really enjoy following the lives of the Royals. Now they, although the queen uh, again, amazingly through the decades managed to avoid scandal uh, father, she really did. I mean, outside of the death of princess Diana, where they took a little bit of a PR beating for how they handled that. That was really just a small kind of blip on the radar. That hasn't been so much the case for the royal family. And Gerard Baker has a really good piece in the Wall Street Journal today where he makes the argument that, you know, King Charles III now has a, he has a tough road to hoe here. I mean, this is, Queen Elizabeth was really good at this and spent decades refining the skills. And one of the points he makes is maybe it's time for a reappraisal of the monarchy around the edges, or maybe a downsizing of, of, of the family. And, and your, your general thoughts on that moving forward. I think there will be a downsizing of the royal family and the royal firm, as they call it, uh, the, the titled royals that actually go on service and duty. That will be slimmed down dramatically, and I think that's a good thing. I don't want to see too much modernization because the great thing about the constitutional monarchy is that it's the tradition that holds us together. It is the constitution itself. We don't have a written constitution. It is all embodied in our parliamentary institution and our monarchy, and that's important for us. So. I'm, I'm just trying to listen to the words that he's saying and hoping that it makes sense. So things, for example, like he said, we are a society of many cultures and many faiths. That concerns me, first and foremost, because King Charles is the patron, governor, supreme governor of the Church of England. It is his role to say, 
this is a Christian nation and we are going to be proudly promoting that as well as tolerating other faiths. That's fine. Uh, but he did make an effort to talk about duty, tradition and freedoms, which is fundamentally important for you people like you and I who have been fighting for civil liberties for so long to hear that the monarchy understands that because he is the one that protects our civil liberties from a tyrannous government, from a dictator. We, he is the safeguard in place, the check and balance that prevents a horrible regime taking hold in Parliament. Yeah, we're talking to Calvin Robinson, Father Calvin Robinson. You can follow him on Twitter at Calvin Robinson. Please check him out. I promise you, you will not be disappointed. Um, let's get into some issues. You're really great on this stuff, defending liberty and freedom. They are in here. I've seen you on Fox quite a bit. You know, uh, the UK politics confuses me a little bit um, because it reminds me a lot of some of the swamp rats we have here over in the United States in the uh, GOP side. Uh, you, Boris Johnson gets in there and he's elected on this Brexit kind of, you know, we're uniquely British and we're going to, you know, we don't need to be subjected to this EU nonsense. And then he gets in there and he pushes net zero. He pushes tax hikes. And it kind of reminds me of the whole Rockefeller Republican era with the Republican Party in the 70s and 80s where, Father, we stood for nothing. And then Reagan came in and said, like Thatcher did in the UK, and said, no, we're going back to actual conservatism. Do you think we have a shot with that with Liz Truss now over there? Uh, I wish. I really wish. I was on Kemi Badnock's campaign team. I thought she would be a fantastic prime minister because she was actually a conservative. And she has been promoted to a cabinet position, so that will make a difference. However, Liz Truss is lovely. She's fine, but she's not a conservative. She is a liberal, first and foremost. And that's the problem with our political system in the UK is that our centre-right party is pretty much a centrist party. It's, there's, there's not much right wing to it. So I, I'm not entirely sure they're going to use this majority to their advantage. They have an 80-strong majority. They could pass uh, many, many conservative policies, but it all depends on who's around them. So Boris Johnson is a good example. He is someone who we thought was a libertarian, so not necessarily uh, conservative, but shares a lot of ideals with the conservatives as in civil liberties, etc. However, when he got into office, well, not when he got into office, but when COVID hit, the people around him were pushing for different things and he succumbed. He succumbed to his aides and locked us down and took away our liberties and broke precedence that we will never get back. Uh, and likewise, he had um, the advice of his wife, who is a massive environmentalist, which is, there's nothing wrong with that, but she's been pushing him to take on board the net zero policies. So that's why we're in the mess that we're in. But I don't know if Liz Truss is the right person to undo that mess. The only hope I have yeah. is the fact that she wants to be seen to be making a difference. So she might want to be different to what Boris Johnson was. Oh, gosh, from your mouth to God's ears. We're talking to Father Calvin Robinson, at Calvin Robinson on Twitter. You know, I, 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 um, you, obviously, we're, you know, we're, we're brother and sister countries. We just are. We're, we're indelibly linked, and we always will be. There is a special relationship. It's not a perfect relationship. I, I think we all get that. But it is special, and it is different. We share a history and a culture together. And I, I just find it shocking that the conservative movement, which I'll tell you, for all its knocks in the United States, is still relatively strong. It, it is. It oh, yeah. still has a from the Tea Party on. We we've never they've never been able to put us down. It shocks me that in the United Kingdom, where you went through the Thatcher era, as we were going through the Reagan era, and you had this general renaissance in liberty and freedom and economic activity and a strong, incredible record of success. That it's the conservative movement isn't stronger over there. It, it, you don't have that that the, you just said it's kind of it's 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 weaker. It's more of a centrist uh, Republican Party. 
It is, but it's a great shame. And I think the problem is because people looked back at Margaret Thatcher and saw her economic policies, which were fantastic, but they ignored her social ideals. And the modern conservatives that in the party and many people within the party are actually neoliberals, which is fine, but they're not conservatives. And it means that they are conservative fiscally, but they don't stand up for social issues. They won't say, actually, there are two genders. They won't say that marriage is between a man and a woman. They won't say abortion is wrong. And they certainly won't say that white people can be the victims of racism just as much as black people. They won't say any of these things. They won't defend British values, Christian values, because the social issues they see as unimportant or secondary to economic, and that will be our greatest downfall. Calvin Robinson, uh, I've I've watched you quite a bit on on the CRT culture issues on these uh, television stations, and you've been amazing. I mean, you really take it to these leftists who seek to divide us. So, uh, you know, uh, Jordan Peterson's another guy who does a lot of commentary. I'm sure you've heard of him, but he has a couple pieces out there that are fascinating. I, we both have backgrounds in psychology. His more extensive than mine, but nonetheless, he brings He's up this point about where I am right now. <laughs> oh, no kidding. No, good. You can tell yeah. him I said this. He, he has this piece out there where he makes the argument that the attribution of a collective identity to individuals has been one of the most destructive forces throughout human history. Its record of torture, death, and deprivation is second to none. From slavery to the Holocaust, the idea that you, Calvin Robinson, are defined by a set of characteristics that have nothing to do with your character at all, the melanin content of your skin, what faith you practice, it doesn't matter. The idea that 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 you should be defined by that has led to, again, horrors and tragedies and atrocities throughout human history. And yet, if you so well, effectively it, argued, it, oh, sorry, go ahead. If you have a thought on that. No, no, I think you're absolutely right. But I think it's bigger than that. So the left are massively collectivist. They try to put these label on us, labels on us, put us in groups to control us and say, you as a black person need to vote for this party. Otherwise, you ain't black, etc. You as a woman need to vote for this party. They want to control our thoughts so they can control our votes so they can control us. However, on the right, as a reaction, we've gone the opposite way and we've gone you know, everyone is an individual. Everyone has their own individual truth. Everyone has their own individual identity. And that's just as bad as collectivism. The truth, the answer is somewhere in between. And that is what I think comes from faith, which is why I don't think you can truly be 100% conservative without having a faith, because that's where you get the moral code from. That's where you get your moral values from. And that is where you get your identity from. Not from yourself, because that's idolatry, making ourselves gods, and not from the collectivist idea of you belong to someone else or someone else can label you. I think the core identity comes from having a faith. And for me as a Christian, it would be, I'm a Christian first and foremost. My immutable characteristics are negligible. Negligent. They, they mean nothing. You cannot pin me down by my, my skin color, my sexuality, my race, my, uh, where my parents were born. None of that matters. But, uh, we're talking to Father Calvin Robinson. He's at Calvin Robinson on Twitter. Uh, that, that, that's, that, I'm glad you just said that. Can you f I, I got a few minutes left, but I want to focus on that. I want to flesh that out a bit because that's really a, a, a amazing statement. You're right. You can't let the pendulum swing the other way either where we're, we're such radical individuals. We need no connection to society whatsoever. Leave me the hell alone. Screw you. I agree with you. I mean, there's that old line. I don't know if you've ever heard it that 
um, that the good conservative, um, when it comes to government, is a libertarian, but when it comes to family, he's a communist, right? Like that, and the, the rules of government don't apply in your family. You don't just let your kids do whatever you want. Your kids don't get a voting right at eight years old, right? So we need that tie, but not just to our family, but we need that tie in, to our community as well. And that was the bedrock of faith in the church before we became in love with tweeting all day and playing video games in the basement. Daniel, you're so on this. This is absolutely spot on. And this is the problem. The left have stuck us in this corner, so the right are reacting to the left rather than saying, no, this is where we should be. We're fighting for conservatism. And what's happening as a result is with this individualist movement, people are saying that this is the future. And if you follow the path of individualism, it goes towards, neo- it goes towards neoliberalism. And the end result there is if everyone is an individual with their own laws, with their own rights, that means you can still define your own gender define your own race, eventually define your own age, and define your own species if you want. We already have children in the UK identifying as a horse in school, and the, the, the teachers have to affirm it by giving them carrots, for goodness sake. So we, liberalism at, the, at its peak is lunacy, and we shouldn't, as conservatives, be encouraging liberalism as an answer to leftism, because they are the same demon. And if we want to fight them truly, you're right, family is the core foundation of society. And from the left, they want government to control our lives. And from the, from the right, they want the government nowhere in our lives. But somewhere in there, we have to have responsibility and accountability. So it's not all about rights. It's not about what we have the right to do. It's what we have the responsibility to do. And we forget mm. that. And I think that's why Her Majesty was so great, for example, because service, duty, and obligation are three words that she used so often because she understood them. But they're lost in this generation. Calvin Robinson, uh, just a... Amazing guy. Really. I got to tell you, it's very rare. Sometimes when you're in the radio business, you know, I, I sometimes as a guest is talking at the end, I'm preparing my next question and I, I can like kind of phase out. I'm just telling you, I never, I'm listening to you like, uh, like, uh, like I'm a fan of the show and it's my show. So unfortunately, because I'm out of time, I have to wrap this up, but I want to have you back. If you would be so kind, you're really an incredible guy. And I want to thank you for spending some time with us today. Uh, really? Why? But you were amazing. Thanks for that interview. My absolute pleasure. God bless you and speak to you soon. You, you got it, buddy. That was Calvin Robinson, father Calvin Robinson, at Calvin Robinson on Twitter. I'm not kidding. Sometimes you're preparing for the next question and you kind of tail off at the end. That was just great. What a great concept. Don't overreact and start promoting that radical individualism ourselves, where we disconnect from our responsibilities. It is about rights, but it's also about responsibilities. What a great point. All right, this is Dan Bongino. You're listening to Dan Bongino Show. Yes, I'm not just uh, listening. I'm also the host. <laughs> we'll be right back. That was Father Calvin Robinson. I hope you enjoyed that. Thanks for listening to this special weekend podcast we put together for you. You can hear me every day across the country on over 300 radio stations. Just go to Bongino.com. Click on Station Finder to find out where I'm on near you. Thanks a lot. Have a great weekend. You just heard Dan Bongino.